All right, go ahead and turn to Psalm 62. I'm going to read a, a section of scripture to you, and then I'm going to wrap that back around at the end of the sermon to kind of explain the personal significance for me of this, t- of this text. Psalm 62, 5 through 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Today we're going to be continuing the Advent series. Many of you may or may not grew up with Advent. I, I didn't really know the significance of it. I grew up, but as I studied for it, it's, it's this idea of anticipating or the coming. That's Adventist is a Latin word that means coming. That means anticipating, waiting. And, and I described last week some, some personal stories about how uh, I was anxious about something happening and wasn't quite prepared for those things. But it's this idea of looking back to the, the Christmas nativity, the birth of Jesus. So we look back to the first coming of Jesus, but we're also looking more forward to the second coming of Jesus, him, him coming as a Messiah, but now he's going to be coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it's just both looking past and looking present. And we talked about this idea that we're going to be talking last week about peace. Today we're going to be talking about this idea of hope. Next week, joy. And then on Christmas Eve, this idea of love. And by the way, you have these cards in your seat. Make sure you grab a handful of them. Invite friends, invite family members, co-workers. That's a great way for people to come uh, hear the gospel. And I, I will tell you, about three out of four, maybe 80% of the people that come to church for the first time come because of a personal invite. So I invite, encourage you to invite. And it's a great opportunity because people are more likely to come at Christmas and Easter than any other time. So this is this idea of Advent, looking as I talked about last week, kind of between what has come and what is coming. And I described it as like D-Day and V-Day. D-Day in World War II, we knew once we took the beachhead, we were ultimately going to have victory, but it didn't happen until V-Day, right? And so there's this idea of the kingdom has come, but it is coming. And God has saved us, but he's going to ultimately save us, right? He's going to give us new bodies. He's going to give us a new earth. He's going to make it brand new. So we can talk about today this idea of hope. What is hope? Well, Webster's describes hope as a feeling of expectation, a desire of certain things, and it's closely related to faith. Hebrews 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. So it's this idea of anticipating something, knowing or the possibility it could happen. The two words that are primarily used in scripture, these Hebrew words is yakal and kava. Yakal means this idea to wait for. Um, this, this word was used when Noah was in the boat, waiting for the waters to recede. Uh, kava is also this idea of wait, but kava, the, the root word is kav, which means cord. So it's this idea of stretching a cord and, and pulling tension in it until it gives, right? So it's this anticipating tension, but at some point it's going to happen. It's going to be relief. Attention is going to be released. Isaiah describes God as a farmer who plants vines and he kavaz, hoping for good grapes. Okay? Hope is also about waiting. 
this idea of this tense expectation. And understand that biblical hope is based on a person. Think about that for a moment. Biblical hope is based on a person. See, hope is different than optimism. Optimism is this idea of choosing to see any situation or circumstances and how it could work out. I'm constantly doing this in my mind as, a, as someone who's a pastor. I'm constantly thinking in my mind how things can work and looking ahead and seeing what the different parts can move and this person can serve here and this person can take this ministry. It says, but that's different. The biblical hope is not that. That's focused on circumstances. Many people in the Bible often see that there's no evidence that things will get better. The picture of that is in Hosea. God calls Hosea to marry a prostitute. Her name was Goma, Gomer. Think about that for a moment. He asked you to marry a prostitute, knowing she was wayward, not seeing that there's any hope. But listen, this is what Hosea says. God could turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. See, it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. And that's what I mean by biblical hope is in a person, not in circumstances. So understanding that gives us a better picture when we think about hope. We look forward by looking backwards at Jesus' death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what gives us hope. Knowing the finished work of Jesus, God uses this incredible surprise of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection to deal with our sin, to deal with our rebellion. And ultimately, the empty tomb opens up a new door of hope. It opens up a brand new door of hope where we had no hope. I like to describe it like you aren't just lost at sea, but you've got a thousand pound weight strapped to your chest. No matter what ability to swim or strength you may have is zapped. You're at the bottom of the ocean. That's your desperation. And Jesus comes, and not only does he release that weight, he brings you to the surface and gives you life. That's the picture of Jesus in the empty tomb. He gives us a living hope. 1 Peter 3, if you want to turn there, you can. It's a great picture of what the resurrection is talking about. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the picture of our hope. Jesus' finished work. The biblical hope is not on probability, church. It's on promises. See, because Jesus proved that he was God and defeated in the flesh death, sin, and the grave, he can overcome all things. Think about it. Our greatest disease is sin. Our greatest fear is death. And Jesus overcame them both. He overcame them 
through his resurrection. You know, we've all put our hopes in different things at times, haven't we? Think about some of you experienced some misplaced hope. Maybe some of you thought you were going to get a bike when you were a kid and you opened it up only to get a calculator. <laughs> right? Um, maybe you had this expectation that some circumstance is going to work out a certain way and it didn't. We use phrases like this. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope it does rain. I hope I pass that test. I hope she says yes. I hope I get that job. I hope we can get that house. I, I hope I can get that truck or car. I hope I get a raise. I hope I have enough money for retirement. I hope this treatment works. I hope my scan is clear. I hope what I've done is enough. I hope I can convince them. We use this phrase so many times, right? But all of us know what it's like to put hope in something and that hope fail us. I can tell you I've learned this many times in many ways. I can tell you every time I somehow put my hope in the stuff of this world and it lets me down, it reminds me even more and more and more how I need to trust in Jesus. And my hope can only be found in one thing. In fact, what the world promises will bring security leads to perpetual insecurity. It does. It's just a cycle. We see it played out on our society. What seems to fill someone's cup doesn't. It just leaves them more and more and more empty. Even though it's played out in all different avenues, we probably see it most within worlds of addiction where someone gets involved in something and then it's just a spiral, right? And you're trying to get their attention. You're trying to pray for them. You're trying to get them to different places to get to hear certain things and it just, again, is spiral. But can I tell you something? We in this room can be living a normal life and be able to carry on kind of, if you will, normal routine and still be just as dissatisfied and just loss of hope as anyone else. Because again, we're putting our security into things that the world says you should have hope in. See, ultimately, security only comes by putting hope in God and Him alone. The promises of God's Word is that those who put hope in God have a firm foundation. We see it right there in Psalm 62. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my salvation. The, Jesus described it like this. Many of us build our house and we build it on sinking sand. And when the storms come, not if, but when they come and the storm rages, everything is washed. Everything is lost. But when the man or woman who builds their house on the strong rock of Jesus and the storms do come, they will not be shaken. He is their fortress. He is their rock. He is their hiding place. So I want to share with you this morning the big idea. It's this. God is offering us a living hope that will not disappoint. God is offering us a living hope that will not disappoint. Now I want to encourage you to understand this. I'm sorry, I had to take some medicine and it's making 
making my mouth really dry. I apologize. I want to encourage you in this. When I say disappoint, will not disappoint, I want you to understand that does not mean it's going to make you happy. See, God wants you to be holy. And that doesn't always involve being happy. God wants you to be holy because he's holy. He gives you his son's righteousness when you humble yourself and you repent of your sins and you ask for this gift that's by grace through faith. And he puts his spirit in your heart as a deposit. And you become a brand new being. And, but the Bible describes that you're like a baby. And so like babies, they, well, they mess on themselves, right? And they have to be burped and they have to be fed and they have to be watched over, right? So when you're a babe in Christ, you're going to stumble a lot. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. But as you grow and mature, you're going to start seeing that you can't always eat donuts every day and be healthy, right? You can't be spoon-fed every day and expect, expect to grow. But it's this maturing process. And see, I love my girls. I absolutely adore them. And they know that. And many times they can get away with things sometimes with me because they just give me that look, right? But you know, ultimately... I want to do what's right. And that doesn't always mean it's what they want. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times where I don't allow them to have banana bread with chocolate chips in them. But there is those occasions. But most of the time, it's this idea that my bride likes for them to have a healthy meal in the mornings with eggs or, or bacon or something along those lines, right? So it's this idea that God as our Heavenly Father knows what's good for us. He knows what's best for us. And he even describes, he says, listen, you as, as sinful, broken parents, if you know what to do good for your, parent, for your kids, don't you think me as your creator, as your Heavenly Father, I'm a good father, I know what's best. And it's always, not always to make you happy. It's to push you toward holiness. So when I say this idea that will not disappoint, please understand it's not about happiness not always about easy, but this idea that God is creating in you something to bring about good, to bring about holiness. So let me describe this hope. If you're writing and keeping notes, write this down. Hope in Jesus for your present and your future life, not in wealth, power, or pleasure. I recently read about uh, the eruption uh, of this, this volcano that happened in Pom, right around Pompeii in seven, 79 AD. And it described this mummified person who her hands were full of rings and bracelets and necklaces and chains and tre treasures were all around her. In fact, as she fled, this woman was not prepared to leave behind any of her jewels or valuables. In fact, it encumbered her and her, her treasures she was overwhelmed by the rain of the ash in the volcano, and it literally buried her alive. And all these things were found around her. As they discovered, as they were building for a new modern building, they found all of this. And I wonder many times, as we live through this life, that we're encumbered by the things of this world. The scriptures describe it as, as weeds that choke out the life that God wants to grow in us. It's the cares of this world. It's the pleasures. It's the, 
desire for fame or wealth or power. And listen, the Bible makes it very clear. There's no ban on private uh, property or, or making money or even enjoying good things, a command or even a command to be rich. But it's that where do you put your hope in? Do you put your hope in those things or do you put your hope in God? See, Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We cannot set our hope on wealth, on power, on fame, or pleasure. We have to set our hope on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who will never leave us or forsake us. Because when we do that, there is a sureness, a, a foundation that cannot be shaken no matter what the world throws at you. And I want to encourage you in that today. Second point I want to make is this. Hope in God's word and invest your time in it. Hope in God's word and invest your time in it. Hebrews 4.12 says this. Listen, for the word of God is what? Living and active. Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division and soul of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Can I tell you something? It is so important to daily feast on the Word of God. I cannot tell you how the times where I find myself, if you will, too busy or too distracted to get in the Word of God how my day is full of anxiety and frustration and short-temperedness. But as I get into the God, word, God's Word, God uses it to saturate my soul and change me. And listen, just because you're, a brand, just because you're born again doesn't mean you're going to live out perfectly. It's through the working of His Word. It, Psalm 119 says, How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. The idea of daily spending time in Scripture is so important. You need to allow it because it says exactly what it is. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it begins to divide those intentions and desires of the heart and begins to point out through the power of the Holy Spirit those things that are wrong as you need to confess them. And get them right with, him, with God and with each other. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 says this, 16 and 17. All scriptures God breathed the idea of living out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for training, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's so important to understand that we have to get in God's word every day. Listen, there are so many opportunities today to get into God's word. Many of us 
many of us spend countless hours on the road. I can give you some great apps. Okay? If you've got a smartphone, I would think probably 99.9% of all adults have one here. You can do a thing called version. Go on there. You can click find a plan that you feel drawn to. You look them up, hit the play. It will play for you in the scriptures. Another one's called Dwell. You can find it, download it, and you can literally let it play for you as you drive, as you listen. Can I tell you something? That's a great opportunity to begin to concentrate on God's Word. And I, I challenge you, I challenge you for the next 30 days, commit to either listening or reading God's Word each day. And I guarantee you will see a difference in your life. Now, there's going to be challenges. It's, it's going to be things that are going to be thrown at you. But I encourage you to begin to get into His Word. Understand how it can change you. It's almost it's like this idea of taking hot water and taking a tea bag and putting it in there. It literally changes it. Changes the taste of it, right? Changes the substance of it. That's how God's Word works. It steeps in our soul. Creates new desires in our heart. Third thing I want you to write down is this. This idea of hope and God's Holy Spirit for life-changing power in the ups and downs of life. If you will, turn to Romans 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. I'm going to read that and then flip over to chapter 15. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand what that means? There was a debt owed because of rebellion, because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus came, he took on our sin debt. He paid it in full on the cross. Crucifixion was gruesome. But he paid it in full, not only by dying and taking the weight and the wrath of God. But he defeated death by rising again. Defeating the one thing the enemy can hold over us. Death. Defeating the second death. Which is eternal separation from God. So justified by faith. So this is not something you earn. It's not something you build up to. It's not something you work to achieve. It's something you receive by faith. Faith is what? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. So it's trusting, it's hoping what Jesus did for you is enough. And now you trust that by faith. And we have peace with God. In other words, now we are one with God. Because the Bible says, he unites himself with the Lord, is one with him, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And now we have union with God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith, again, this idea of faith or hope, into his disgrace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen, not, that, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. So how can we rejoice in our sufferings? I was an athlete for a lot of years. And if you said in the middle of my workouts, in the middle of training or two-a-days, when it's 100 degrees outside and you're out there running suicides, would you rejoice in that? No, I wouldn't rejoice. 
But can I tell you, when I did rejoice, knowing in the fourth quarter, the last two minutes of the game, no, I'm not sucking wind anymore because I'm prepared for it. This is what, this is what Paul is reminding us of this. And during our sufferings, it's bringing about good in our life. So in that, we can rejoice. So now I can look back to those times and I can say, yeah, I rejoice in that because that was a suffering, but it brought about good in my life. So not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, know that our suffering produces endurance. It brings this tenacity in your life. When you have trials in your life and you turn to God or even when you turn away from God, but then God in his, his patience lovingly brings you back to him. And you endure that suffering. And then when you endure that suffering, it produces character. Character is like integrity. These things, your word matters. And that the things you say you're going to do, you're going to do. And you're committed and you follow through. Right? You don't back out. And then character produces hope. This trust in God that endures. That, that makes us and allows us to go through tough times in our life. And this hope does not put us to shame. That's the word where I said it does not disappoint you. It does not disappoint you. And this hope, or this character produces hope, and hope does not put you to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given who who has been given to us. And then verse 13, I'll read. I mean, sorry, chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, I'm bring you full circle. Back to Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. O God, rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that God is your fortress? He's your rock. He's your hiding place. He's your shelter. He's your salvation. Two thousand five. My wife and I have been married eleven years, and we desperately wanted kids. And we chose not to go the some of the fertility things that some of the doctors recommended, just for moral reasons. We chose not to. We had a young lady. We found out about who's pregnant out of wedlock. We got connected with her, and she wanted us to adopt her son. And so we went through everything that we were told by, by law and the state. We did that. And for 11 days, he was our son. And the day that she was supposed to go to court, she called and said, I'm changing my mind. 
it was literally like a death angel came and visited us that day. And it was a very dark time for my wife and I. The heartache of heartaches. And my wife and I, I would say at the beginning, we became somewhat hard, distant. It was a long, slow journey. But this is what happened. This verse became our verse. It became really, if you will, a spiritual marker in our life that if you were asked me today, I wouldn't have changed. As much heartache as it hurt, I would not have changed it. Because what? It allowed me to eventually put my hope in God and God alone. Not in what some young person would say or not the hope of a child or not the some thing that may happen to us down the road or some blessing. No, my hope, our hope, was in God and God alone. Fast forward three years later, got a phone call. Someone wanted us to adopt. That's where my oldest daughter got her name. Our hope is in God alone. See, I think we forget. We take these little snapshots in this moment in time and we think, this is the end. No. This is maybe a paragraph on the story that God is writing on your heart. When you're a part of God's grand story of redemption, understand, in the end, we win. God has the final say in all circumstances in your life. And even though heartache may come and trials may come and failures may come, rather something that happens to you or something you participate in. God wants to redeem that and give you hope. A hope that the world cannot offer. A hope that will not disappoint. So let me ask you the big question today. Where, what, who is your hope in? Where do you find your hope? Can I tell you, if you find your ultimate hope in the things of this world, you will be let down. If you do it in money, how much is enough? How much is enough? Well, where it stop? If it's in relationships, how many relationships are enough? If it's in stuff, how much is enough? Right? We see all the time where people who are millionaires, who are great women or men of power and wealth and prestige. And they say, there's got to be more to life than this. Or they take their life in vain because they, they lost a, a few million dollars. Right? Think about this. Where, what, or who is your hope in? My prayer today is for you is that you'll find your ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. Because listen, all these other things are gifts. My wife's a gift. Our girls are a gift. But they're not the source of my life. My source is found in the one King of kings and Lord of lords. My salvation, my rock, my hiding place. Jesus Christ. Would you stand?
I hope today that you really take a minute to examine where you're at with the Lord. If you have not put faith in Jesus, if you've not put your hope in him, that you'll surrender today. The Bible makes it very clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's real simple. Just repent of your sins. Know that you're a sinner. You trust God for salvation. And through that trust, that faith, the Bible says you're justified. You're made right before God. And you, now you begin this relationship with him. This day by day, moment by moment. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work that only you can do. God, thank you that our hope is found in you, the unchangeable, unmovable God. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today, God, that they would put faith in you if they don't know you, Father. They begin this journey, this relationship with you that brings about joy and hope and peace and ultimately love in their life. Father, do what only you can do, and that's eternally change hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.